You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder The rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for a fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Coram Dale. He is risen. Welcome to the Holland, welcome to Easter Sunday, welcome to the greatest story ever told. It is a great day to be together. My name is Bob, and I'm the lead pastor of our church community, and if you're joining us for Easter special, welcome to you. I want to reiterate what Nick has already said, thanks for choosing to be with us this Easter Sunday. At Quorum Deo, we preach the Bible, and this Sunday is no different, and so on the handout that you receive when you walk in is our scripture text for this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. That's where we'll be focusing our attention this morning. I want to invite you to grab that, use that, so that we can focus our attention together on the Word of God. We have been studying the book of Isaiah, and we remain in the book of Isaiah this morning. We're here to celebrate the unexpected. Nothing is more unexpected after an execution than a resurrection. Nothing's more unexpected after Good Friday than Easter Sunday. Nothing is more unexpected after deep darkness than the coming of light. Last time we encountered the prophet Isaiah, he left us in deep darkness. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8 ends this way, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah left us where Good Friday left us, in the darkness of despair and gloom and judgment. But this morning, the prophet Isaiah has good news for us. It is surprising good news. It's unexpected good news. It's good news that the kingdom of God has broken into this 
dark world. You noticed if you listened to the scripture reading, it talks about a government and a kingdom and a throne. Isaiah is bringing us the good news that in the midst of the dark world we live in, the kingdom of God has broken in. And so I want to preach to you this morning for a few minutes about the unexpected kingdom. The unexpected kingdom of God and its unexpected king, the one who rose from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to observe with you and with Isaiah six features of this unexpected kingdom. We see them all here in the text of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. First of all, I want you to notice that the kingdom of God begins in an unexpected place. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 1. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. There are some geographical references here that aren't immediately present tense to us. Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. These were the northernmost provinces in the land of Israel. And here's why that is significant. Because most of the foreign invaders, most of the foreign oppressors who ever threatened God's people came from the north. So when the enemies came, the people of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee were the first to experience darkness. Their people died first. Their land was taken first. Their lives were disrupted first. They were the first to experience darkness. But you see, Isaiah says, when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to reverse everything. It's going to turn everything upside down. These provinces that were the first to experience darkness are going to be the first to be made glorious. When the Lord Jesus came to earth, when he was growing up as the son of a carpenter, when he began his public ministry, where did he do so? In Nazareth, a little fishing town in the province of Galilee. Galilee of the nations, the place that had known darkness, was the first to experience the presence and the grace and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, the kingdom of God begins in an unexpected place. What about in our day? Certainly, if God were going to begin a great movement of spiritual renewal, a movement to revive and revitalize cities, and cultures. He'd start in some place that makes sense, right? Some place like New York or Chicago. Some place with an NFL team and a subway system. Or might he choose to start in Omaha, Nebraska? In an unexpected place. A place people don't expect to look for influence and impact, for grace and health and life and meaning. The kingdom of God 
begins in an unexpected place. Notice this second fact about the kingdom of God. It comes to an unexpecting people. Look at Isaiah 9 verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Notice, it says, they're walking in darkness. They're not expecting the kingdom of God to break in. They're not expecting light to come. They've learned how to live in darkness. They've made peace with darkness. They've dealt with the reality of darkness and evil. They've just sort of learned to put up with it. They're not expecting light. They're not expecting the kingdom of God to break in. But Isaiah says, those who walked in darkness, on them light has shone. This is how the gospel works. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is very good news. Because God doesn't come looking for the deserving. He doesn't come looking for the people who have it all figured out. He doesn't come looking for the people who think they're next in line. He comes looking for the people who know they're not. He comes looking for the people who know they don't deserve it. He comes and shows his grace to those who have learned to make peace with darkness. To those who aren't even expecting his rule and reign to break in. The kingdom of God comes to an unexpecting people. This is good news for us this morning because it means none of us here this morning, no one in our city is beyond the grace of God. No one is beyond the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. No one is too far gone, too far removed, too far outside the boundaries of where you'd expect God to work that the kingdom of God can't break in and come to them. This is the good news of the gospel and the good news Isaiah wishes us to know is that the kingdom of God comes to an unexpecting people. Notice third, the kingdom of God involves an unexpected plan. Uh, Look what Isaiah says in verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So this is clearly talking about deliverance. It's talking about release from bondage. It's talking about deliverance from oppression. It says, God, you've done these things as on the day of Midian. This is a rather obscure biblical reference to the story of Gideon back in the book of Judges. So let's rehearse the themes of that story so we can understand what Isaiah is saying to us here. The Midianites were foreign oppressors. They were oppressing the people of God. The people of God were enslaved and subjugated to the Midianites. God came to a young man named Gideon and said, Gideon, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to free them from bondage and oppression. Gideon reluctantly said, all right. And so he gathered an army of 32,000 men. Now, the scholars estimate that the Midianite army was somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000. So Gideon was outmanned. But he had good soldiers, and he figured one against three, we'll we'll do our best. We'll see what we can do. God's in this fight after all. God showed up to Gideon and said, no, no, Gideon, listen. These 32,000 soldiers you have, that's too many. See, if you're victorious with 32,000, you know what will happen? 
you'll think it's because of your strategy and your wisdom and your power that you were delivered. And I'm not sharing my glory with you, Gideon, so I need you to send some guys home. So Gideon sent home 22,000 soldiers. So now Gideon has 10,000. God says, no, 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 still too many, Gideon. Still too many. I don't trust you. You like glory. You'll boast in yourself. I know people, and I know their tendency to want to take credit for things, so you need to send some more home. So Gideon ends up with an army of 300. 300 soldiers to go against 100,000. And God says, now we're talking. Now we have odds that are in my favor as God. Now the odds are that if I deliver you, you'll know it was me and not you. See, God uses surprising strategies. God's plans are never what we think. His ways are unorthodox. His strategies are unusual. The kingdom of God involves an unexpected plan. It's not going to happen the way you expect, right? This is what we're celebrating here this morning. Who would have thought that God's plan for the redemption of the world and the deliverance of his people from oppression would involve a crucifixion and a resurrection from the dead. How does that make any sense? How does that even work? God knows that we're prone to take credit for our own salvation, our own deliverance. God does things in a way that make it clear that only God could have come up with that. Only God could have achieved and accomplished that deliverance. Notice Isaiah tells us in verse 6, he says, a child is born. This is how God's going to do it. A child is going to triumph over warriors. A child is going to break the bonds of oppression. A child is going to set God's people free. The kingdom of God involves an unexpected plan. And now we really get to the heart of this text, verse 6. The kingdom of God is centered on an unexpected person. Notice verse 6 of Isaiah 9. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Kind of a weird thing to name your kid, don't you think? Every scholar who studies this verse in Isaiah agrees there's no way Isaiah is talking here about some human deliverer or some earthly political ruler. It's very clear Isaiah is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who Isaiah 9-6 is about. Notice, to us a child is born, so he's going to come in humility and weakness as a baby. To us, a son is given. He's going to come as a male heir in the line and dynasty of David to inherit the promises God has made to David's family. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called, catch this, Wonderful Counselor. He is wise. He knows exactly what to do in every situation. He gives intelligent advice. His strategies and ways of living are perfect. He is the wonderful counselor. 
mighty God. This child who's going to come is going to have all the resources of Almighty God at his disposal, and he's going to put them to work for good in the world. He has the power to accomplish the things he sets out to do. Everlasting Father, he is caring. He provides for and protects and looks after his people. Prince of Peace. He is a harmonizer. He brings peace and unity. Everywhere that his reign goes, division ceases and dissension ceases and infighting and strife disappear. The entire trinity is contained here in Isaiah 9-6. Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is an empire without imperialism. It's a worldwide reign without force or subjugation. It is the spread of a global empire of peace and wholeness and wellness and restoration. My friends, this is what Jesus got out of the grave to accomplish. This is the movement that began on the first Easter Sunday and continues today. This is why we worship the Lord Jesus, because He is the wonderful Counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace, and He will reign forever and ever. Let me bring it to a close with two final observations. This good news that Isaiah preaches to us this morning invites an unexpected response. The response we are accustomed to hearing when we hear news of Jesus and his reign, the thing we're used to hearing is that what Jesus invites us to do is to accept him into our heart or to invite him into my life or to get Jesus into me somehow. I want you to see that Isaiah's invitation is exactly the opposite. Isaiah is preaching to you this morning about a king sitting on a throne, ruling over a kingdom. And how do you respond to a king? How do you show allegiance to a king? You do it by bowing down, right? By bowing the knee to his rule and his dominion. By giving up all other kings and kingdoms and coming under his rule and reign. See, the invitation of Easter Sunday is not to get Jesus into you. The invitation of Easter Sunday is to get yourself into Jesus' kingdom. Because he's made a way. He's opened the door. He takes all who will bow the knee to him and recognize him as Lord. He invites you this morning to be a part of his 
kingdom because this is a kingdom that will never end. It's an, a worldwide empire that will never stop. It will continue to increase until the end of time and this morning invites you in. He wants to be your king. Listen to me. Bob Dylan told you this. Bob Dylan saying, you got to serve someone, right? You got to serve somebody. You're going to serve some king. You're going to be ruled by some kingdom. Why not the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there a better king out there? Why not the Lord Jesus? Is there a king who's wiser than Jesus, who has more wonderful counsel and insight? Is there a king who's more powerful, who has more ability to bring about what he says he will do? Is there a king out there who's more caring, who's more gentle in his reign and rule like an everlasting father? Is there a king out there that offers you the kind of peace the kind of rest, the kind of security that the Prince of Peace offers. The kingdom of God invites an unexpected response. Jesus invites you to be under His rule and reign, to submit to Him as King. He has triumphed over the grave. He has risen in victory. He declares his victory this morning to all who have ears to hear. And he invites you to join in his kingdom purposes. All right, one last point, then we're going to brunch. All right? Submission to King Jesus. Submission to King Jesus brings about an unexpected result. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. Look around for a minute. Look around for a minute. This church began with 60 people. This morning there are over a thousand of you here worshiping King Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus is multiplying his people. He's extending his reign. And when people meet Jesus, it's cause for joy and celebration. Right after this service, we're going to baptize some new Christians in the courtyard. And that's a fun celebration for Christians. Why? Because we celebrate the multiplication, the growth of the people of God. But look what it says after that. You've multiplied the nation. Now catch the word that's repeated four times in this verse. You have increased its what? Joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The re repeated theme in Isaiah 9, 3 is joy. This is what the kingdom of Jesus brings. And this is counterintuitive, right? Because who would have thought that submission brings joy? Who would have thought that surrender results in joy? Who would have thought that laying down your life brings about the greatest joy and happiness you could possibly experience. That's what Isaiah is saying. Here's what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in. Here's what happens when people worship and follow King Jesus. Joy happens. Happiness happens. Gladness happens. Celebration happens. Why? Because you are delivered from all of your sin and all of your brokenness and you're ushered into a kingdom of peace and growth and life and happiness and joy that will never end. 
That's why we're here this morning is to rejoice in King Jesus and the kingdom he inaugurated in his life and his death and his resurrection. And so like the people in Galilee, we have seen a great light. Like the people in Zebulun and Naphtali, we rejoice. Like Isaiah, we bow our lives before the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Why? Because he's a great king. Because he's a great king. So here's the invitation to you this morning. Rejoice. Be happy. That's why we're here. That's why we're here is to celebrate and rejoice in the reign and rule of King Jesus. And here's what that joy looks like. It looks like singing, celebration. It looks like partaking of communion, which we're going to do in in a minute. It looks like bowing your life before his rule and reign. And so for some of you, there's aspects of repentance and faith this morning, areas of your life where you need to bring into greater alignment with Jesus and his kingdom. And for some of you, this morning maybe is the first time when you will bow the knee to King Jesus and acknowledge, yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is king. Yes, I do want to be part of his kingdom, his people. So let's close the morning rejoicing celebrating, delighting in this great king and his great kingdom. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you that Isaiah saw your coming and spoke of you. Thank you that unto us a child has been born and a son has been given. Thank you that the government rests on your shoulders. And thank you that your name is called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God, would you let us know the joy of submission to you this morning? Would you catch us up in the joy of you multiplying your people and extending your reign and rule? Would you catch us up in your mission in this city so that we could see more and more people gathered into your kingdom? Would you give us this morning great joy in our hearts as we celebrate the victory that you have won, all that you have accomplished? And this morning, Jesus, would you call new followers to yourself? Would you help those who right now are living for another kingdom to bow the knee to King Jesus? Would you defeat the kingdom of self in us? And would you exalt yourself in your rightful place on the throne of David, ruling over all space and time and history? Be exalted in our hearts that we might worship you. We pray this for our joy and your glory. Amen.